You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. We go out and we pay people money up front when they find an asset and they want to go build their mine and we'll say, here's some money to help you go build your mine. And they give us back a percentage of their revenue forever and we just receive checks for the rest of our lives. So we're a, a check collecting company, if you will. I could sit on my hands for the next three years and if the gold price stays where it is, we'll be cash flowing $150, $160 million a year based on our best estimates. I'm Bill Powers, and this is Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in. Well, today we're going to be speaking with Nolan Watson. He is the president, CEO, and founder of Sandstorm Gold Royalties in New York. You can find Sandstorm on the big board under the ticker S-A-N-D. And in Toronto, again, on the big board, you can find it under the ticker SSL. Website is sandstormgold.com. Sandstorm was actually the first sponsor of this show back in 2018, so I'm thankful to Nolan and the company for being my first sponsor and it's a company that I've recommended to people over the the past few years actually as I'm at Little League games uh, where my sons play baseball if I'm talking to a fellow dad that has some financial sense but he maybe doesn't invest a lot of his own money but is interested in what I do and he begins to ask me so okay you invest in gold mining companies what does that look like how do you go about it and as we discuss I try to keep it simple And usually towards the end of the conversation, I said, listen, if you want to put a little money in a gold company in this sector, go with Sandstorm Gold, S-A-N-D, just like the baseball field, sand. Just look sand up on your ticker. And it's a company that I've recommended uh, many times because often when you're talking to somebody that doesn't understand the mining sector, the junior mining sector, which these companies are in essence like research and development companies because they don't have cash flow yet. They're trying to develop a product, which one day they could then sell to the market. Without explaining what an exploration company is and everything that goes into it, it's easier just to give them one quality gold company that presents a good upside opportunity yet isn't going to lose 90% of its value like a lot of exploration or even development stocks can do at times. So uh, Sandstorm is is that company that, that I've often recommended. Nolan, with that being said, welcome back onto the show. I spoke to you, I think it was about two years or 18 months ago, something like that. And if you were in line at Starbucks or at one of your kids' soccer game and you were talking to another parent in about 60 to 90 seconds, how would you explain the value proposition that your company presents to the market? Yeah, well, thanks Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you again. I think one of the things I like about a company like Sandstorm is that it's a pretty easy story to tell. We do not operate any mines. What we do is we have royalties on other people's mines, similar to in the music business or the pharmacare business. We, we go out and we pay people money up front when they find an asset and they want to go build their mine and we'll say here's some money to help you go build your mine and they give us back a percentage of their revenue forever and we just receive checks for the rest of our lives so we're a, a check collecting company if you will and we've we've got a, a billion dollar plus market cap on the New York Stock Exchange and we only have 24 employees and we literally just collect checks and then we go out there and we try to find other good companies that we want to buy royalties on and good mines that we want to buy royalties on and we just keep collecting checks so then next year 2021 once COVID-19 blows over we expect we'll be free cash flowing just about 80 to 90 million dollars at today's gold prices US and that's every year and we think that'll increase closer towards 100 and 
50, 160 million dollars a year, a few years out, based on things that we have already bought and are are growing. So, you know, sitting here doing nothing as a CEO, um, I could sit on my hands for the next three years, and if the gold price stays where it is, we'll be cash flowing 150, 160 million dollars a year, based on our best estimates. And uh, I wouldn't say it's an easy job because the hard part is finding new things that we want to invest in, but it's certainly a much much lower risk business model because we literally just cash flow and and collect checks. For generalist investor that is now starting to pay attention to the gold as gold breaks through 1700 and some people I've talked to recently smart people think that it'll hit 2000 this year at least. If a generalist investor is looking at Sandstorm or let's say GDX or GDXJ, why would they want to choose Sandstorm over the ETFs? Yeah, there's so many reasons. If you invest in the GDX or the GDXJ, you're obviously investing in a whole basket of other mining companies. And the simplest and most profound reason why you would buy Sandstorm over other mining companies, including a basket of them, is that mining companies always have challenges at their mines. They have earthquakes, they have fires, they have floods, they have political interference, they have COVID-19. And during any of those events, you have to shut your mine down, your revenue goes to zero, and whether it's a political event for a while, whether it's COVID-19 for a while, your costs don't go to zero. So when a mine has a problem, whatever that problem may be, they start losing enormous amounts of money until they can get back up and running. And a lot of those mining companies have debt, so they violate their debt covenants during those periods of time. They have to raise more money at really low share prices. They dilute their shareholders. And so generalist investors who tiptoe thinking that into the gold mining investing sector thinking that, hey, I think gold's going to go up, so I'm going to invest in mining companies. COVID-19 comes along and all of a sudden they lose tons of money and they may never get that back even if gold keeps going up. So they got the theory right that gold was going up, but by investing directly in the mining companies, they may, might lose a lot of money. Whereas at Sandstorm, we have absolutely no debt. We cash flow uh, a substantial amount every week, every month, every year. We've never had negative cash flow ever in the history of the company. And so when you buy Sandstorm, it's a lot safer investment. It's way more diversified. We have 190 streams and royalties around the world. We're in many countries around the world. So political events don't affect us as much. And when one of our partners, say, for example, during COVID-19, has to shut down their mine, our cost of carrying that contract is zero. The mining company loses money. We don't. And so it's just a safer way. And so if you look over time, companies like Sandstorm get higher rates of return than mining companies, period. Uh, there was a study done about a month ago by one of the brokerage houses in Canada looking at the uh, internal rates of return that mining companies are getting compounded annually over the last, specifically gold mining companies, compounded annually over the last uh, 13 years. And um, five of the top eight were royalty companies, and Sandstorm was number two in the world. So. It's just a it's just a better way to play gold. Your market cap right now in Canadian dollars is a little over one point six billion dollars. When investors look at your company and compare it to a Franco Nevada or a Wheaton Precious, what is the value proposition? Why would they want to invest in your company versus the bigger royalty companies? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So uh Sandstorm uh as I mentioned got the second highest rate of return out of companies over the last decade in the, the precious metals space. And the only company that beat us, I won't mention their name, but the only company that beat us was another royalty company who 10 years ago was trading at a um, 
we call it NAV multiples in the mining industry for those who aren't familiar with it. If you take a, the present value of your future discounted cash flows, figure out what's the company actually worth today. Most precious metal companies traded a multiple to that. So 10 years ago, this company was trading at 1.2 times NAV, so a slight premium to what you would inherently think it was worth using a 7% discount rate. And today, that same company is trading at 2.5 times NAV. So uh, a substantial portion of their return over the last decade has been a re-rating upwards in the multiple that they're trading at, not necessarily an increase in the value of the company. Whereas Sandstorm, we believe it's still trading at or slightly below its inherent net asset value, and we still got the second highest rate of return. So we believe that if everyone's multiple in the industry froze, we, if we could repeat what we did in the last 10 years, we would have the highest IRR in the industry. And on top of that, I think that we're starting to get to a critical mass where over the next 10 years, we will be the company that re-rates more than the average company. Meaning a Sandstorm, you would, if you invest in Sandstorm, you get that high compounded IRR plus a re-rating in the multiple that the company trades at. And so I think Sandstorm's a good investment, in my opinion, because of that. Sandstorm was trading in February of this year before the crash at about $10 Canadian. And then it fell about half when everything spiked low. And you were in the market, I understand, with the company's money buying back shares. Have you completed that program? So we have what's called a normal course issuer bid, the ability to buy back our own shares on the open market whenever we want to. And during that crash, as you mentioned, when our shares fell in, in half, we bought back about 4 million shares. We spent about about $18 million U.S. buying back our own shares until they came back up. They're trading at about $9 Canadian today, so almost close to their high, even though we're in the middle of COVID-19. And we'll continue to do that. So we have the ability to take advantage financially of negative exogenous shocks like COVID-19 and to buy back our own shares cheaply if they're temporarily traded cheaply. And I think it not only provides support for our share price, but it's just value added for our other existing shareholders because our share float shrinks. So all of our existing shareholders now own a higher percentage of the company than they owned before we did that. And I just think it's a, a wise approach. Some are expecting a double bottom in the gold stocks. If there's a, another liquidity crunch and the general equities sell off, gold and gold stocks could be sold off in tandem again. If that happens, you'll be in the market buying, I assume. And would perhaps you not let the share price go quite that low again if you're buying in the market? Absolutely. If, first of all, I don't think there's going to be a double bottom. I'm super bullish on gold right now. And mines are starting to... Uh, turn back on instead of turn off, uh, as they were while governments were shutting down mines around the world. Mines are being put more on essential services list than they were, say, a month ago. Uh, so I don't see a full double bottom. Maybe maybe an exploration development companies and in, in illiquid securities if there's another just general market liquidity sell-off. But So I don't think we'll see the same thing we did before. Having said that, if we did, absolutely, Sandstorm would be back in there buying its own shares. We are limited by law as to the number of shares we can buy on the open market a day. So we can't promise share prices won't go to certain levels, but we certainly will be maxing out those the legal maximums that we can buy if that were to repeat. Nolan, you're an accountant, so you're a numbers guy. Obviously, you can tell when your shares are undervalued, and therefore it's in the interest of share, your shareholders to buy the shares. But at the same time, I was curious, do you also have an overvalued price target for your shares to where if it, your share price overshoots where you said it'd be, it would be in the best interest of shareholders to begin to issue shares? So no, first of all, Sandstorm hasn't, hasn't raised equity in several years. What we have told our shareholders over the last decade is 
that we will evaluate raising equity against the value that we can get for the things that we will buy if we raise that equity. And uh, as much as I like to think that I can tell the future, it is very hard for me to determine the value of something that I'm going to buy if I can't see it right in front of me, the specific acquisition I'm going to make. And so because of that, we have always said, we're not just going to go raise equity because our share price went high. we, which right now, candidly, is not an issue, and and we're nowhere near a price where where that would be an issue. But even if it did, if Sandstrom share price doubled tomorrow, we still wouldn't run out and raise equity for no reason. We we would wait to find the acquisition that we were going to make, and then evaluate that relative to whether it made sense to raise more money to buy that. We're we're really sensitive to dilution, and so our fo- the way we've gotten a higher IRR than most other mining companies in the world is by focusing on what is the value per share that each shareholder has now and what are the actions we can take as a management team to increase that value per share you know at the end of the day we're not trying to build the biggest company we're trying to build the company with with the best share price performance i remember in our last interview you mentioned that management must be countercyclical and contrarian with that being stated when you look back at how you ran the company back in 2012 2013 at the top of that cycle what were some mistakes you made that you won't be repeating in this gold cycle yeah, it's funny you ask that question because a lot of the CEOs uh, for decisions they made in 2011, 2012 have been fired and uh, there are new CEOs running all the companies and I think when we get to the top of the next cycle, which I think we're quite a ways away from, I think gold's going to run before we get there, I think we're going to see the same sins of the past be repeated over and over again because it's new CEOs who haven't learned those lessons yet. I certainly have learned some lessons and uh, and one of them is just as a rule of thumb, if you find it hard to buy assets because the values are being bid up so much, don't buy assets. <laughs> the very fact that it's harder than it normally is is a good sign that you should pause. And the other thing I've learned, and and for those of my shareholders who might be listening right now, I apologize, is that shareholders are very impatient and it's when things get frothy and the market gets excited that shareholders are the ones going, buy things, buy things, buy things. What are you going to buy next? What are you going to buy next? Go. And you need to just not listen to your shareholders because they're not managing their own emotions. Maybe they haven't been in the industry as long as I have and haven't learned those lessons yet. And so if I'm finding things hard to buy because they seem to be all overvalued, no matter what my shareholders say, I'm going to be patient. With where we are in this gold cycle, as gold is rising and perhaps some of these uh, development companies or junior miners could uh, have more access to capital, does that lower the potential opportunities that Sandstorm would have? In in a situation where gold companies specifically have more access to capital? Yes. Yeah, so I think that all companies, including gold companies, have way less access to capital uh, right now, not just because of COVID-19. I would have said that two months ago before COVID-19, and it's for a whole bunch of reasons. Some are structural in the sense that mining companies uh, require lots of capital. It's a capital-intensive industry, and so we we absorb and take in and raise money more than other industries do. And uh, at the same time, so much of the world's capital has moved from actively managed, managed institutional investor funds into passively managed funds like the GDX and the GDXJ and other ETFs and and other passive forms of of capital that you've mentioned, uh, even ones that you mentioned. So those entities cannot write 
checks into equity financings. Passive capital is not allowed to take uh, a decisionary approach about, yes, I think this is a good deal in this financing. I'm going to write a check into it. So a substantial portion of the world's capital is no longer eligible to be put into a financing of a mining company. And that's a, that's a permanent fundamental shift in the capital markets. And it really hurts industries like the mining industry that needs to keep raising capital. And so uh, I think because their access to capital is so much lower than it has been historically, it's a good opportunity for companies like Sandstorm to buy more royalties and streams and, and grow our business. Nolan, I have a couple questions about the gold industry at large. When it comes to the major gold miners, I spoke with Adrian Day at PDAC and interviewed him for my show. And one of the things Adrian said was that he thinks it's too early for the major miners to be giving out dividends the way they're doing, that they should hang on to that money because developing gold mines and buying assets, it's just such a capital-intensive industry. Um, Do you agree with that perspective? And what is your perspective in general on dividends when it comes to the major gold producers? Well, first of all, I think the true major gold producers, not the materials, but the majors, um, do produce enough free cash flow that they can pay a dividend. Uh, I do think that often they make the mistake of paying out too much of their their capital and then get into situations where they need to grow their company again. And instead of raising equity, they'll do things like merge and go buy another company, but they'll they'll issue equity to do it. That's kind of a form of capital raising, if you will. So I think some of the majors have what I would consider an unsustainable dividend over the very long term, but in the in the short to medium term, it's fine. And I think they should pay dividends, maybe just not quite as much. Streaming and royalty companies, on the other hand, like Sandstorm, we are just free cash flow generating machines. And, um, and all of us, except for Sandstorm, pay dividends for the reason that Adrian Day said was we didn't want to declare one too early and make it unsustainable. We wanted to grow our business to a critical mass where we're not really needing the equity capital markets as much as we did before. And we think we're about there. Uh, If you would have asked me two months ago, would Sandstorm be paying a dividend by the end of 2020? I would have said probably yes. Um, COVID-19 might push that back a year, but we're, we're on the precipice of declaring our first dividend. Nolan, I have a friend who focuses his investing and speculating in the junior mining sector. He's been doing it for at least two decades, and he does not invest in royalty companies, and he's very bullish on the precious metals, gold and silver. And when it comes to silver in particular, he does not believe that the streaming contracts will hold up in the future. Let's say if silver goes to 50 and $100. Uh, He just thinks that the silver miners will say, listen, you better come back to the table and negotiate this. You know, you're making too much money. And I said, I said to him, so essentially you're saying the producers are going to declare a windfall tax on the the company that they had the the streaming agreement with. I would love to see them argue that in court. Sorry, sorry. I made a bad deal, judge. Uh, It's really not fair. I didn't know what I was thinking. And uh, can you undo it? Mm -hmm. And no. (laughs) That's, that was my point, but his point was, well, Bill, they could just say, we're not going to produce as much, and we got the product that you profit off of, so we're not going to cooperate, uh, or we're going to produce less, and I tend to agree with you, Nolan, but I just am kind of probing you for, is there any legitimacy, do you think that this would stand up in a Canada or the USA? Never, never, no, zero okay. percent. Because it's a contract, so... Um, contract. <laughs> but then under what terms would you renegotiate a stream or a royalty it, it, you know what would be the terms that would be acceptable to sandstorm yeah we if things are going well in the industry i've never seen a contract like and prices are high i've never seen a contract renegotiated the only times i've ever seen one renegotiated is where the royalty company or the streaming company 
did too large of a stream. And this was more the type of thing you would have seen 15, 12 years ago when the industry was first starting for royalty and streaming companies, where they would say, oh, you need $300 million? Okay, we'll give you $300 million, but you've got to give us 25% of all of your production. And, you know, sounded great on that day, but then commodity prices went down. And all of a sudden, the mining company literally just did not have enough money. They were operating at a loss in order to provide that 25%. And then things had to get renegotiated or the mine was going to get shut down. So that's the only time I've ever seen that. But the, the streaming and royalty industry has gotten a lot better at avoiding those situations. Up front, they'll say, oh, you need $300 million. Sorry, we can only give you $100 million. We'll help you find the other $200 million, either in equity or debt or but we can only give you $100 because we want to take a smaller percentage of your production because we don't want you to shut the mine down because this contract exists. When you're looking at opportunities to grow Sandstorm, obviously your brand is gold, but are you willing to branch out beyond gold as, as, a, as a metal into other metals? So our rule of thumb at Sandstorm is we want to be, at all times, 80% or higher precious metal exposure, so gold or silver. Um, we are very bullish also on copper in the long term, maybe not in the short term. And so we don't mind a little bit of copper in the portfolio. We'll never go do a copper deal by itself just to get copper exposure. We're, we are first and foremost and always will be a precious metal company. But if we did a deal on a copper gold mine and they said, hey, Sandstorm stream our gold byproduct and get a royalty on that. So we, we would do that. But if they needed more money and that was a very small percentage of the revenue, we might take a little bit of copper at the same time. But um but we are a precious metal company. Do you agree with some that say the best opportunities in the royalty and streaming space right now are in the base metal royalties? I think the best opportunities that we're seeing right now are precious metal um, byproducts from base metal companies. So it's the base metal companies that are hurting the most because right now they're not only dealing with COVID-19 and mine shutdowns and operating losses. When their mines eventually get back up and running, they're looking at incredibly low base metal prices and a lot of mines are operating close to break even and or at a loss. So those are the companies that need more capital uh, and are reaching out. In fact, Sandstorm got a reach out by two base metal companies last week asking for substantial amounts of money. And uh, and both of them have some gold that we can get a royalty on or a stream on. So I think that's where the best opportunities are right now. Nolan, I've learned uh, over my years of speculating in the junior mining sector that one of the best places to find new potential investments is asking CEOs of companies, hey, where do you think I can find another good investment? So with that being uh, stated, you know, if you're looking beyond the royalty space, I've heard you say that you invest not only in Sandstorm, of course, but in other royalty companies. But beyond the royalty companies and beyond some of the major producers, are there any quality potential investment ideas that you could share with us? Um well, other companies that I've invested in are um, you know, junior exploration gold companies like Eclipse, uh, a company that just went public. Um, you know, small companies like Entree Gold, which has a joint venture on a part of one of the world's best copper mines in Mongolia that's being built right now. Uh, things like that. I mean, they're longer-term plays. If people are looking for a quick flip, those are not the right names. But if they're looking to to hold for a few years, I think those can both be rewarding. And what percentage of your portfolio, your personal portfolio, would you put in a an explorer like that? Ah, uh, a low percentage for me. I'm I'm probably my personal portfolio right now is probably thirty percent real estate, about sixty percent gold, almost all of which is sandstorm, and then ten percent other. 
And physical gold too? A little bit of physical gold, but mostly Sandstorm. And as we kind of wrap it up here, as investors look towards the second half of 2020, could you recap for us what are the key milestones that we should be looking for out of Sandstorm? Yeah, so I think one of the key milestones happens uh, or happened last week, which is when our shareholders voted to have our warrants early called in. So we've we've cleared that out of the way. We got $50 million in, in that process and uh, paid off our debt. And so Sandstorm is now a, a debt-free royalty company, and we just continue to accumulate cash. We've got about $20 million of cash in the bank. We've got about $50 million of equity and debt investment securities in other companies. And we're just going to keep growing growing our cash profile and looking for the next deal. So I think the next milestone for us is is that next large deal we do. And we've got a team of geologists, engineers, and corporate development finance people looking for those deals and working on them right now. And, and that'll be the next milestone. And I think I just would like to point out too to investors that not only do you have the upside leverage as gold goes up, but you also get that free exploration upside where you have royalties on these projects. If they're able to find something, Sandstorm shareholders will participate in that upside. Isn't that right? That's that's exactly right. That's a, I think a big part of the reason that we've outperformed over the last number of years is we have done a good job of choosing projects that have an inherent amount of substantial exploration upside, and, and that upside is starting to prove out. You've been listening to Nolan Watson. He is the president, CEO, and founder of Sandstorm Gold Royalties. Again, in New York, you can find the ticker S-A-N-D. And in Toronto, under the ticker S-S-L, website is sandstormgold.com. Nolan, thanks for joining me on today's show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.